Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. Let's jump right into scripture together. Psalm chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 6. Psalm chapter 20 in verse 6, it says this from the NIV. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some, somebody say some. Some Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They the ones who are trusting in chariots and horses and what they can see and do, they are brought to their knees and they fall. But we, somebody say we. We. Those who are trusting in the name of the Lord our God, we get to rise up, we're gonna stand up, and we're gonna stand firm in what God is doing. Now, in case you hadn't caught it yet, we are just two weeks into our clear vision for this new season. Our New Year's Eve celebration that went on into New Year's Day was only two weeks ago. Now, don't ask Pastor Matt and I how long it feels like between now and that moment then. But we are in a season of setting out. Somebody say setting out. Setting out. And can't you already tell? I mean, today is a perfect example. You can already tell how real and tangible this direction is because of the immediate The dramatic movement that is happening in our hearts, our lives, and even around the globe for what our brothers are doing in Europe right now. There is movement that is going on, and there is immediate opposition in it, but God is already ahead of the curve. He's already telling us, giving us insight, giving us exactly where we must place our steps as we're setting out. So you guys are very familiar that what initiates you to begin to set out? It's this cloud moving, right? It's also hearing the testimony of the trumpets being sounded. And it's announcing in advance to us that our expectation is to joyfully set out. So let's try that real quick. Everybody show joy on your face. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I was just blinded there by a minute by the whiteness of Ray Pena's teeth. Oh, yeah. That brother's got a lot of joy. Got a lot of teeth. So joyfully setting out is something that we are to to do and put into practice every single day. Now, as a body, we are taking with us what we have received from Adonai each day at the table of his presence. And we're setting out confidently knowing that God is leading us, he is empowering us, and he is providing for our daily needs. Ultimately, we are experiencing the absolute privilege of paying the cost as we're setting out. We're LCM. We have stepped up to the plate, given our lives fully over to the control of our king, and no cost is too high to pay to be obedient to his will. We will not have a costless conquest as we set out. You are a church that is crucifying those internal grumblings and those external arguments that inevitably will always come to the surface. You're constantly consecrating your lives as you're paying the cost of crushing your own comforts and experiencing the result of crossing over from death into life and recognizing all of what God is leading 
uh, you into that is the fulfillment of his promises to you. Today, church, we're going to talk to you about the process of setting out. Somebody say process. Process. I mean, as much as we'd all like to just instantly, you know, gain the growth, the progress, the victory that we want. I mean, the truth is, is I would love to be like Philip in Acts chapter 8. He's ministering. They baptized the Ethiopian. And all of a sudden, it literally says that Philip is carried away. He's transported from one place to another. He's there in one minute, and he has to find himself in a different city. The word says he literally found himself in Azotus. Man, I would love that kind of transport system. Long before Star Trek, there was Philip in the book of Acts. Just got transported from one place to another. I got to tell you that the process of setting out, that's not how this works. You don't get to skip stages. You don't get to skip, skip steps in this process. From the, think about how God caused the children of Israel. They had to set out in a specific order that was based on their tribes. And within that order, there had to be a very specific process of how you were going to take the tabernacle down rightly, honoring God's presence, move it to the place where it needed to be, and set it up again exactly to the standard that God had originally done. There was a process, but then even once you were already in formation and moving out, there were many, many, many stages to get from where the people of God started all the way in to the promised land. There is a process in us setting out, and you're already beginning to engage in it. We're already feeling the beginnings of that process as a church body. It's one thing for a select man or a select group to feel it. What God is doing is he's setting us all out and teaching us all about the process of setting out. Now, what we want you to know today is that we're going to rise up in this process today. We're going to stand on up in it, and God is going to show us exactly how we need to step starting today and moving forward. The process of setting out is one that has daily implications. It requires endurance through the generations, and it secures an internal inheritance for this body of believers. That's a pretty special process that we have going on. We're going we're gonna to begin in Joshua chapter 7, so why don't you turn there with us to Joshua 7. As you're turning, you think about the word process. Does the thought expedient come to mind when you think about the word process? No. Process takes time. You have a process of fermentation. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's a great process. And you guys know and have personally experienced if you purchase something that has shortcutted the process required to get something rich and smooth and depth of flavor, well, that just may result in some some headaches that you have. When we're leading into Joshua chapter 7, we'll actually pick up in chapter 6, verse 27, the last verse. There's, there's a few things that have transpired in the process of God bringing his people to the promised land. That there was a crossing of the Jordan, a supernatural crossing at flood stage, a crossing over from death to life, experiencing a circumcision, at Gilgal, a consecration ready for conquest. And then something supernatural happened at Jericho, right? We're all very familiar with Jericho. That more was accomplished with their shouts of joy than with their own arm and sword. 
Well, you would call each one of those a process of experiencing victory, right? Absolutely. Well, what we're getting to is the next stage and process that God brings us through in battle. It, it's, it's encouraging for us to be able to look at how God has led his people in the past and recognize how he's leading us right now in the present. So Joshua 6, 27. So the Lord was with Joshua. Amen. That's a comforting thought. Amen. He was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Well, this is a fulfillment of what was promised to Joshua as he was transitioning from being Moses' aide to now leading the nation of Israel. I'll be with you as I was with Moses. And God displayed in supernatural favor a witnessing of that transition. But chapter 7, verse 1 is where we get a little bit of a twist in the story. But the Israelites were unfaithful. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm hard of hearing and reading sometimes. But the who? Israelites. Okay. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So coming from the previous victories that Israel had experienced, now they come to a point where there's something hidden. You know that in our own personal lives, victories can mask what lies in the depths of our own heart? Well, it really doesn't matter if I made a decision the right way or not. Look, God blessed it. Look at the outcome. And that's if you even recognize that you did or did not make a decision the right way. How about the ones that you don't, and when God actually begins to bring it to the surface through difficulties, it surprises you, but it's of no surprise to him or maybe even the people around you. Difficulties are an essential part of the process in setting out. They must be there. See, when we are setting out, we're acting in faith and doing God's will, but it doesn't mean that we have been completely perfected before we've even started to do God's will. They just won at Jericho, and now they come in a point where they've lost at the town of Ai. So Joshua, we're going to focus on him for a minute. Joshua's in this position where he's experienced victories. God has been with him as he's been with Moses. And now there's hidden sin being revealed in the camp. Look at his response. Can anybody relate to what Pastor's saying? You've had something go the same way for a very long time in your life. And now in this season, it's like, but I've always been doing it this way. I mean, I've been, I've been advancing and moving forward. But God starts to bring difficulty into us and into our lives so that we can see that there are things that were hidden to us but have never been hidden to him. So now we're about to engage in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 6, and we're going to see Joshua's response to losing an eye. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same. And sprinkled dust on their head. Now, we need y'all to do something with us today. We need you to not uh, take in advance and know and try to kind of guess what's going on. We'd rather us all, somebody say everybody. everybody. We'd rather actually just look at the scripture and engage with it. It's not how many scriptures we can get through. It's what the scripture does inside of us. So if you didn't know the rest of the story here, you would look and go, man, 
Joshua is repenting. Joshua has torn his clothes. He fell face down on the ground. He remained there till evening. It wasn't just a quick thing. He was showing his humility. As a matter of fact, the leadership team all joined together and tore their clothes and lay down on the ground. You would think that these men are rightly walking in a, in a very uh, uh, pious kind of repentance. Except for the fact that you have to remember that this is really Joshua's first failure as a leader. Got appointed. Moses transferred the authority over to him. God showed that he was with him. They cross over the Jordan. Supernatural. He's leading the people. The men get, they get circumcised, this generation that hadn't. God is with them. They walk around Jericho. They're winning, man. Except that this is Joshua's first real encounter with any type of significant failure as a leader of God's people. Now that he's setting out, he's coming into contact with what failure looks like in his life. So is this really repentance that we have here? It's not repentance that Joshua is doing. You know how I know? We're going to keep reading. And you can actually hear what Joshua says, and you're going to realize that this is not about repentance, but this is about wallowing in something. Well, here we go. Thought you were just going to encourage us all day long, Pastor. Oh, we're going to encourage you, all right. <laughs> right on time. We're Joe. breaching the link. That's this right. You know, the wallowing that we're talking about is the kind where you actually come across a failure that you were not expecting to get. You thought you were doing it right. You get corrected, called out, and what do you do? You say the right things with your mouth, but inside you become a wreck. All you can think about is the failure. Oh, you're unsettled. You're trying to play it cool on the outside, but on the inside, you're quaking. You get weird. Wait, okay, so so far, I, I saw two hands go up. In fact, it was actually three because Nolan raised two of his. And then all of you, all of you guys really came alive when he, says, when he said, you get weird. Raise of hands if you get weird. Okay. You know, awkward, weird. Not like the Austin kind of stuff, but, <laughs> but just outside of your, your right mind and emotions. You know, you know how you can tell the difference between if you're really repenting or wallowing? Is that no amount of affirmation or encouragement can get you out of the mud of wallowing. Oh, that's true. You're just stuck. I resemble that remark. Oh, brother, look, hey, that, this is what God's doing. And look, you're anointed and powerful. Don't talk to me about that. Don't look at my failure. We're going to learn from Joshua what comes out of our own hearts and how God deals with it. And Joshua said, this is verse 7, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring me, bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only, wow, that's a dangerous phrase. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Now, when this is us, we would give ourselves credit. We'd give ourselves credit that we're being, we're being honest with the Lord, yeah. our real feelings. 
and credit that we didn't say we wanted to go back to Egypt. I just want to go to that last waypoint that was comfortable and safe. It didn't require me to be confronted with what was hidden inside of my camp. See, Joshua's not winning in this moment. He's wallowing. And we do the exact same thing. And one way you can tell is that Joshua's speech is paralleling the desert speech of the first and second generation that he was leading. Did you bring us, Moses, out into the desert to die? We want to go back to Egypt where there was leeks and onions. We had provision. Although Joshua is not saying this, it is the same sentiment. I just want to take a step back when I don't have to be in this position. So this is about Joshua. When a journey through a desert crosses over to a set setting out on conquest... That's what he, he's experiencing. This is new. This is completely different. The, the whole nation has now arrived. Their feet are standing on the land that they are now going to go conquer. And now out the gate, there is defeat. And isn't it true whenever God promises something to you, you begin to set out. The only thing that you are expecting is victory. It is so clear, it resonates so deep within your soul, there's no thought of failure. There's thought of opposition, but that's, that's external. There's no thought of your own feelings and that you're just going to make a huge mistake. Well, God begins to, to walk Joshua through this, but there's a couple more things that he says we want to highlight. Take a look at verse 8. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies. By the way, in case we hadn't said it already, this is Joshua. This is not the people of Israel. You expect there to be rabble there. This is Joshua. I mean, he has a whole book of the Bible named after him. And Joshua is going, uh, um, um, excuse me, pardon me, Lord. What can I say? I don't even know what, I can't even wrap my brain around this. I can't even wrap my heart around this. What is he really saying? Joshua, leading in a team with Eleazar, the nation of Israel, is being muted by his own myopic view of failure. He is so dwelling on the failure that took place. And by the way, did you hear it in verse 1? It was the Israelites that sinned against the Lord. It wasn't just Achan that sinned against the Lord. It was the people of Israel that sinned against the Lord. And Joshua's going, I, 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 I don't even know what to do. I feel flooded in my emotions. I feel flooded in my thoughts. It's the only thing I can think about. I'm smiling to you guys, but on the inside, I'm just crying. I don't even know what to say. I'm so flooded with these thoughts and emotions about my own lack of ability and what that really means. The surprise of what's going on here. How can I trust what's going to come out of my mouth next? You know what? I've made a mistake. I know what the answer is. I'll just be quiet and I'll never speak again. Yeah, I'm looking at you. 
Well, I tried to say this, but I just didn't say it right. It didn't come out right, so I'm just going to keep all my thoughts to myself. Has anybody ever said that in this house? Well, at least we got some honest people up in here. See, Joshua is showing that this is what's inside of every single human being. An anointed warrior, seasoned in battle, experienced in leading God's people, but he is in the process of setting out, and he's getting to something that he hadn't been to before, and he doesn't handle it very well in these verses. But let's go on and see what it continues to say. In verse 9, Joshua says, The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? So another way to say this that is more more in line of what we say, this failure is going to be such a permanent fixture of my identity and my name and ultimately your name that I'll never be able to escape it. It's like that fear that we have in middle school. I had, a lot, get, I had a lot of those. You'll have to tell me. <laughs> Which one? We're going to be here for hours, guys. It's that fear that if you get a nickname, then it's going to stick for the rest of your life. That you'll be at your 50-year high school uh, reunion which will put you somewhere in a neighborhood of like 68. And you still have that nickname. So the, the real crisis here that's coming out of Joshua's heart, it's an identity crisis. And it's a fear of a, a change in reputation that he doesn't want to mar who he is. And yet he's attaching it to God. He said, look, what are you going to do to redeem my name? I mean, your name. There's a, there's a false attachment there. Now, isn't it nice when you just start actually engaging with what the Scripture says? The, as a church, you've read this. Each of you have read this a hundred times, this story. Some of you are hanging out in the book of Joshua now, and you've gone through this. I just have a feeling that very few of us in the room ever thought about Joshua the way we're talking about him now. So, of course, God in his great compassion and his tender mercies tells him something in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up! What are you doing down on your face? That's a good word. <laughs> Joshua, stand up, man. What's wrong with you? Why are you giving in to wallowing? God does not coddle him, nor should we coddle each other in these moments. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do it. To all of our beautiful ladies in this house, reflections of your husband in such beautiful, wonderful ways, godly in every response. You cannot wallow in these feelings. You've got to stand up. Quit desiring coddling from your husband. That's not what you need. God does not give that to Joshua. And your husband, yeah, I'm talking to you now. The husband should not do that, but help you to stand up in your identity. You are not helped by coddling, 
but we all want it. Is that true? We all just want a little sympathy. We all want a little understanding. We all want a little, come on, man, at least acknowledge that you understand what I'm saying. No. No. You got to stand up in your identity. God has made you into something. You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. Stand up in your identity. Quit wallowing in such pity, pitiful, wicked thoughts that you're having. You're on a journey. There's a process of setting out. It's time for you to stand up. You're going to conquer the world, but you can't stand up when you make a mistake. We're going to reach the nations, but you get distraught every time you don't say it the right way. It's time for you to stand up in your identity. That's who LCM is. That's what's made this house. Not that we don't fall, but that we stand up every single time. As a matter of fact, we expect to fall because we're human. And we know that we're going to get knocked down with something. But we've been made for this. So we stand up in the identity that God has given us. And we set out just the way that he told us. You're not going to get any coddling from us. You shouldn't get coddling from each other. This non-word-based kind of sympathy that you want to give each other. As a matter of fact, you know how I know that? Because you'll go to the person who'll give it to you. You're not going to come to Pastor Matt. <laughs> nah, bro, you ain't doing that. I don't have coddle, I have throttle. He got a throttle, not a coddle. You've got to stand up in your identity, church. I know. We know that what we're saying is right. You know how we wrote this sermon yesterday? We took a walk around the block. We took a walk around the block and said, what has God been doing in us this week? What have we had to do this week? Had to stand up in our identity. That is the resolve that we have, but we need more than just resolve to be able to stand up in your identity. As we were reflecting on this word personally, we see that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is doing what every father should do. And in opposite of coddle, it's a command. You want to know how to rightly lead whenever you make a mistake as a leader? You receive and therefore you give a command. What it looked like for us is hearing the command of our Father to stand up in our identity. I didn't choose anybody else to be in this situation and lead in these times. I chose you. And because I chose you, you are the man, you are the men that I have selected to confront what seems impossible. And don't sit there and, you know, mince and shred all of the evidence that God has been with you the entire time. Just because you said something wrong or, or made a zig when you said a zag. Our God is more capable of accomplishing his, accomplishing his will than we are at perfecting our path. It's not about my perfection. It's about 
his command, therefore refining and perfecting my view of who I am. Ezekiel 2, 1 and 2 speaks to this. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet. This is a command, but it's also matched with a promise. Stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Now wait, let's, let's get this logically. Isn't he already speaking to him? Yes. Do you want further direction after you've made a mistake? First stand to your feet and he's going to tell you what's to come next. There's a process that he has already ordained and he wants to lead you into the next step for triumph and victory. But you got to get out of wallowing in your failure about yourself. When he's speaking this, he goes on in verse 2 to say, And as he spoke to me, oh, get this, the Listen. Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Yes, the command is to stand up, but don't you realize that his spirit is there ready to breathe power and life in you that makes you stand up in your identity? It's like what Romans 8 says, that we receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you find yourself today beginning to slip into the mud of wallowing about your own failure, hear our words today. Stand to your feet. Tom's doing it right. Throw off all of that self-inflicted uh, judgment and trust God's word and truth about you and know that as you begin to stand up in your identity, his spirit is going to confirm and empower your view of your identity because you're no good wallowing down in the mud. You're only good when you're standing on your feet empowered by God. Isn't that one of the most beautiful verses that you've read in a while? Stand up. Yeah, pastor, I'm trying though. I don't. I can't. I know I should, but I can't. The Spirit entered to me and set me on my feet. You think this is just about your will to be, I'm a, I'm, I got the resolve, I'm going to stand up. What happens when you can't? The exact same thing that happens when you think you can. The Spirit enters you and stands you up so that he can continue to speak to you. Ooh, man. That needs to be some, some of your stones. You need to get some 3 by 5 index and put Ezekiel 2, 1 and 2. Let's go back to Joshua 7. You got to stand up in your identity in this process of setting out. Look at Joshua 7 and verse 14. Somebody say stand up. Look at Joshua 7, 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by man. Okay. Do you notice we're not even talking about Achan very much today? We're in the story on the chapter on Achan. But we're actually not talking about him as an individual very much, are we? 
Couldn't God have spoken to Joshua and Eleazar and just told them, Achan is the problem? Because he's going to narrow it all the way down from a nation to a single man. Why is God doing it this way? Because it's not just about Achan. It's about all of the people understanding this process and moving forward. Everyone, now that Joshua is standing up in his identity, God is teaching him how to stand up in something else. And he's saying, you got to stand up in transparency. Oh, dang. I'm just talking to John. No. Uh, he could have just said, Joshua, the problem is with Achan. Uh, excuse me, announcement. I'd like to see Achan in my office immediately, please. And deal with it privately. It's not a private matter because it's not a singular matter. Joshua 7.1 says that, the Israelites sinned against God. Joshua 7.11 says that Israel has sinned. Israel, not Achan. Come on now. How many times have you read this story and all you think about is Achan's sin? Achan's sin. Achan's sin. It's Israel's sin. And God is dealing with this. And so he starts off in the broadest sense. We're going to start, which of the 12 tribes is it? So all of the tribes, the nation is standing there. Then you pick one tribe. Well, that narrows it down to one-twelfth of a nation. Over 75,000 people. Then we're going to go to a clan within that tribe. Then we're going to go to a family within that clan. Then we're going to narrow it down to a singular man. But do you see how that they have to present themselves Present yourselves tribe by tribe. Here we are, tribe of Dan. Nope, not us, great. Here we are, tribe of Reuben. Nope, the Lord says it's no, great. Talking about tens of thousands of people presenting themselves as a tribe simultaneously. Why would God do it that way? Because he doesn't want you to be able to escape the part of the process that makes you stand up in transparency. God already knows, but he's trying to teach something else to the brothers who are there. This is what it looks like when we start having decisions that we make and just announcing it to our team. That's not unity. That's not standing up in transparency. Do you know what the Lord, by the way, did we tell you that we're talking about our lives? Pastor Matt and I had to be transparent with each other this week. Decisions that were made and get, yep, I made that decision independent of you. I did not do it right. I've got to stand up in transparency and tell you immediately. Oh, yeah, y'all thought we got, y'all think we get everything right. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. You got to stand up in transparency. It's a requirement for you to be able to pinpoint this exact area of sin in your life. Do you know why you need to get rid of the, the Achan-like sin inside of you? Because if you keep that, you are unprepared for the victories and the battles that are ahead. You can't take Achan's sin with you. If you can't get it right now, there aren't battles that you can win in the future. It's not even as much. Do you guys realize the city of I was really small? 12,000 people. 
You've got millions in the camp of Israel. You've got 12,000 people, and they half-heartedly attacked it, and they lost, and they're destroyed. If you don't get rid of those internal hidden things, you won't be able to have the victories that God has in the battles ahead. What a kindness from God. Does the failure look as bad to you now? If it's exposing things that have long since been there but need to get out before you can actually advance the kingdom, do you see why you need to stand up in transparency? Because you've been standing up. When we learn how to do this right, it ensures the victories in the battle ahead. This keeps you from making independent decisions. You know why you make independent decisions, don't you? You're afraid. You're selfish. It's all the things that are on the inside of you that you're not even acknowledging. I didn't do that. I just failed to mention it to them. Nope. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks or fails to speak or speaks when you want to speak or gives the information in a limited fashion so that it manipulates the situation. Oh, okay. Y'all understand what we're saying, right? This is us. Transparency is presenting yourself, your thoughts, your scriptural direction, your leanings to the team that God has put you in. Because that's the process of going through this journey. Then, you know what happens? God is able to show you the exact problem, not just a tribe, not just a clan, not just a family, but down to the littlest part of your heart that is able to be corrected, dealt with so that you can give glory to God and he can give you victory as you continue on your journey. Man, what an incredibly important step. We got to stand up in our identity and we have to stand up in our transparency. That transparency of appearing before the Lord, it revealed the hidden sin that Israel was doing, particularly in Achan's household. But once dealt with, what, what did it do? That enabled them to therefore be successful and have victory from that point afterwards. Well, just a connection. We're 1 John 1, 7. Do you guys know it? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we're standing up in transparency, we're not only ensuring the victory and success of us individually, we're ensuring the success of us collectively as a church body. Having fellowship with one another, restoring right relationship, and having what was a contaminant now purified from our camp so that we can move on to the next battle. Everybody turn to Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 1, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have, deli I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. So what began with God giving him a command to stand up, don't wallow, now is continuing and gathering fighting men, bringing those mighty men of valor next to him and going up and making an attack. What we see is a hope that we can also have. Joshua is learning uh, along this process of setting out. He's not repeating the same mistakes. 
and he's learning how to stand up, gather men around him, and God is going to give him a very supernatural strategy. God promises, I have delivered into your hands the king, the people, the city, and the land. Every single problem God is going to deal with, and it's going to be set up as an inheritance for the nation of Israel and the generations of Israel. At this point, now that they're right with God and right with each other, they can now re- God can now reveal his supernatural strategy with the certainty of triumph before the battle begins. I mean, how much of a comfort is that whenever we repent, we get right before God, we're in right fellowship, and God says, now the next thing I want you to do, it's going to be accomplished, and you haven't even started yet. That's the kind of affirmation, that's the kind of comfort that we need. Don't we all want the supernatural strategy? Yes. Yes, we do, Pastor. Don't you want to be able to stand up in supernatural strategy, church? That's not the first step. You got to stand up in your identity first. You've got to stand up in your transparency with each other next. And then, somebody say then. Then. Then God reveals his supernatural strategy that you can then stand up in. Now, I would really rather get this strategy so that I feel better about my identity than I can transparently share it with everybody else because I already got it all figured out. Oh, that's just me. No, it's every one of us. You stand up first in your identity. You stand up in your transparency with the brotherhood that God has given you here in this place. And then you're able to stand up in a supernatural strategy. Look at verse 2. You shall do to I and its king. By the way, we always talk about I like it's just a city, right? Like it's a random thing. It's a group of people that are led by a king. It is a group of people that have, it is a kingdom with a king. You're going to do to I and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. How many times have you thought about the king of Jericho? Almost never. Except, somebody say except. That you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. We're going to get to that supernatural strategy here in just a second. But let's talk about this other. You're going to get the same kind of victories that you're learning how to do. You've walked through this process. This is what I want to take and move you forward in. I want you to take the victories that you have had minus the sinful part inside of you and move forward so you can gain victory in every city, in every kingdom that you're going to encounter. And in this case, you get to have the plunder. Wow. You get the same victorious outcome as before, but now you're given the plunder. What was Achan's problem again? He took plunder into his tent when he wasn't supposed to. Wow. Now, because they're walking through this process, they're able to go, wait. You've got a righteous, holy, pure 
ability to take into your house what you need. It's free from guilt. It's free from shame. It's free from deception or secretive behavior. It's free from something that was devoted to destruction and now it can be devoted to divine things for you. So what are we really saying here? What we're saying is that the problem was never with the plunder. It was with who the plunder was devoted to. Okay, well, let, let us help you. Let us help you. This is part of God's strategy here. Let's talk about how much we like to idolize our own birthdays, our vacations, our anniversary trips, weeks, months. This is my birthday month. Wow. Every one, day I'm going to One twelfth of the year, mine, all mine. One day wasn't enough. Getting the resources that you need. Okay, you ready for it? How about the items that you desperately think your kids need? The experiences that you think your kids might miss out on, so you're so fearful that you've got to kind of, again, be weird and force this into happening. The issue is those things are wrong because you've devoted the plunder to yourself. You are taking what should be devoted to the Lord and you're devoting it to yourself, which is creating an aching moment in your own heart. Jericho, they were not supposed to take anything because the entire city was supposed to be devoted to destruction. And Joshua didn't pay attention to that. The people didn't pay attention to that. Achan took something inside. But what was going on is there was an issue with devoting plunder to yourself. Do you see now why it's a whole nation problem? Not just an Achan problem? Do you see why it's our problem? If you're going to stand up, come on, thank you, Wendy. Got a godly woman in the back. When we're trying to devote these things to ourselves, they're actually devoted to destruction. When you get this right, when you stand up in your identity, then you stand up in transparency, and then all of your idolatrous expectations are buried under heaps of rocks that have been set on fire, you can then receive the holy and righteous plunder of provision that your Father wants to give you. Can I do a quick scripture, Pastor? Psalm 145, verse 13, I'll read it to you. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds those, all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. When you bow down, he lifts you up. When you get rid of those errors and you actually get it all the way down from the tribe to the man and you get rid of that, he lifts you up. He helps you to stand up. The eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. The problem with God is not him being able to get you plunder when you need it. The problem is when we dedicate these things and feel like they are ours to control, to manage, and to designate what we want it to do. No, what God gives you in your life is devoted to him. And so we walk through this entire process so that we can see his provision. Verse 16 says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. He will take care of us, but we've got to make sure that we have devoted the plunder in the right way. 
devoting the plunder in the right way, it requires you to, to submit your will. Meaning that before you get to that presentation of an available plunder, you've already reckoned in your heart this all belongs to God anyway. And I'm not going to take any of it unless he gives it. That state of being uh, surrendering of your will, that allows you to hear God's supernatural strategy. Just like what's happening here. They were able to hear about God's plan for an ambush. You realize that in Israel's history up to this point, they had never done an ambush it was always a direct confrontation. This was a completely new battle tactic. It was, a, it was a supernatural strategy. And God is the one who set them up. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in an actual ambush besides Paul Rosales. But it requires two sections. One that's going to be a strong force. Another that will be a vulnerable force. Force. That vulnerable force is usually a smaller voice of force. It's going to invite and provoke the enemy to attack, but that's so that the stronger force can come from an opposite angle and take them by surprise and, and, and crush them. When you think about doing something great for God and following his battle tactics, you rarely, if not ever, think of yourself being put in the position of the one that is going to be the bait. You're the one that's going to be put in the valley at the front gates of a city with overwhelming force chomping at the bit to come and devour you. You think of yourself as the cavalry riding in to crush all of the enemies. Absolutely. God's, that's why we call it a supernatural strategy. If God hadn't come through in this, there would be no nation of Israel. And it required a vulnerability, a surrendering. This is exactly what 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that had been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The same battle tactic that God is giving Joshua to do, it is the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus where he stepped into that valley of death and became the bait, became the target, so that the sting of death could be done away with and destroyed, that sin could be done and eliminated from mankind. This is the pattern that we follow in, with our king, that we are being put in a place of constant surrendering of our own will to accomplish, accomplish his but at our own expense of being the target initially. See, the tactics that began as marching around a city have become as advanced as an ambush with multiple fronts, enticing an enemy to come out, setting the city on fire behind them, and closing the ranks. That's a large jump from walking around a city quietly until the very last round and then tactical brilliance. It's because they're standing up in a supernatural strategy. So uh, Israel and Joshua are now done setting out in the promised land, right? No. I mean, there's nothing more for them to learn because now they're tactically aware because God has supernatural strategy. They, they've got all the tactical awareness they need, right? No. I mean, 
they're no longer going to fail as they continue, right? <laughs> Wendy's, we're just going to give Wendy a mic today. She's on it. See, chapter 7 about what we would call the chapter of Achan's sin is about internal issues, hidden things that you're not aware of. By the time we get to chapter 9, you know what happens? We get the Gibeonites who come and deceive them. That's not an internal thing. That's someone outside coming in. Now, can you, anybody ever been duped on anything? Anybody ever thought that you could count on somebody and they literally lied to your face? And with all of your supernatural awareness... All of the divine power that you have, you just took it. You were just like, oh, that must be right. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. But what's happening is Joshua is learning from his previous encounter with the personal failure, and he's growing. You're not seeing Joshua make the same kind of mistakes twice. This is not an internal issue. This is now an external issue. They're growing. They're going through the process. They're actually setting out, and this thing is getting better. So they may fail here by not realizing the deception of the Gibeonites, but they're in a better position they were than they were two chapters before. Are, are y'all making some personal connections with what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, before there's a lot of things, but as God is causing us to grow, at least I'm not failing in the same ways. Amen. I can stand up in that. What used to take me months to do, I can now do in minutes. That's awesome. You're growing. I didn't even know when I was doing those things. I had to have somebody tell me every time that I made that same mistake, you know what, now I'm starting to figure it out. That's you growing. Joshua doesn't fall on his face in chapter 9. Doesn't lose his identity. Doesn't fail to be transparent. He doesn't even lack supernatural strategy to know what to do. God does not have to tell Joshua in chapter 9, stand up. Do you know why? Because Joshua was already standing up. Oh, come on now. This is what the process looks like. The Lord used this failure with the Gibeonites as a means to draw out something very special. We talked about Jericho and its king. One people group and one king. I, one people group and one king. Next chapter, five people groups and five kings. What? You mean God even has it paced out, both the victories and the difficulties, so that you continue to grow in your military awareness and you're able to win because you're standing up in your identity. You've got it. You're standing up in your transparency. You're now standing up in exactly what God wants you to do through supernatural strategy. The enemies are growing, but that's okay because you've been growing. And you grow through this standing up process. Everybody go to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. You ever want to know if you're actually leading? Look behind you. Is there anybody following? Yeah. 
Joshua here is clearly standing up in his identity because men of valor are going with him. Now, you don't rush into war with somebody who doesn't know who they are. It'll get everybody killed. But what God has been doing in Joshua and subsequently doing here in this house is that he is raising up men who know their identity, who are put in pressurized situations that force them to stand up, get on their feet, and actually take courage in who God has made them. Without the difficulties, you probably wouldn't have done that. Verse 8 continues, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Even though Joshua is growing in his capabilities, standing up in his identity, you know what he needs? He needs that continual affirmation of his father as he does it. Don't fear them. See, a man who doesn't know his identity would look at his father and say, don't tell me not to fear. Don't you know that I'm already full of courage? But because he's secure in his identity and standing up in it, he can then walk or stand in transparency and say, yes, Father, I need this interaction with you. Not only is Joshua standing in transparency with the Father, but who else is there with him as, Josh, as the Lord is speaking to Joshua? All the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. He didn't then go off all by himself and hear from the Lord. He stays in the group. He stays in the team. He is being transparent with the Lord, and he's being transparent with his brothers. Look at verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. So let's put this together. Standing up in your identity. Standing up in transparency. Now as a team is providing for you the ability to stand up in supernatural strategy. All night march, that's eight hours, conservatively, of marching through hill country. Can't even, I can't even march through a mall. <laughs> no, you just don't want to. You could. <laughs> Cinnabon and this, you know. Sin. Sin a bond. Sin a bond. Sin. But it's a supernatural strategy that God has set he and his men on to go march all night and then knowing that when they land, they'll immediately have to go to war. You know what that requires? An absolute trust that this plan is from God and he's going to provide the supernatural strength to accomplish it. You know what I love about that? That's not how they won at Jericho. That's not how they wanted I. This is an entirely different strategy. They're not going back to some old playbook that they look at how they're supposed to do this. They're literally standing there saying, God, what do you want us to do? March all night? Got it. You want us to exhaust ourselves before the battle gets going? No problem. Boy, that, that sounds like our lives, doesn't it? I mean, I thought I'd go into this battle like completely fresh, had a, a refreshed, had a, had a great night's sleep last night, full tummy, been working out, feeling good, got no injuries. That's never how this works. Lord, there's a full day of ministry tomorrow. I got to go to bed at this exact time so I make sure I'm fresh for you. That ain't going to happen. 
But look at what this produces. Look at verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. Not the intimidation of all of these people saying, oh, look, it's morning time. These guys are marching. Wow, we're afraid. The Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. Do you know what happens as you keep learning how to stand up? You begin to stand up in complete dependency upon your God. I'm here. I'm really tired, but I know that God's going to do something. My dependency is not on my strength. I have my identity locked in. I have my brotherhood locked in through transparency. God has given me a plan, and yet I know that I need his spirit to enter me so he stands me up on my feet so I can bring about victory. This is not macho bravado. It's us so completely dependent on the spirit that we are trusting in him and we're counting on him. We don't wait till we feel the Holy Ghost goosebumps. We step forward and go, it's battle time. I'm here on the battlefield. What you going to do, Lord? How you want to do this? Oh, you want oh, you're already throwing them into a panic. I guess it's time to move forward. Yeah, that's right. Look at what happens in verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. Get this. And they died. In case you missed the part of the giant stones falling on right. someone. Just want to make sure you know. It didn't injure them. It killed them. What a day. They were more, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. I love that. This is a, fur, a furthering of dependency on the weaponry of heaven to accomplish more than the sword of your right arm. And yet God told them to go to war. Told them to go into this situation of facing their own demise or confrontation with, with an opponent. And yet, without God's intervention, they couldn't have won anyway. Why? Why? Because in those situations, in all situations, God is setting you up in a, a, a state of dependency so that he gets the credit. So that he gets the glory. He gets the accolade for winning, and you get the opportunity to, to participate in it with him. Church... This is one of those things that's defined us as an entire people group. We are standing up in complete dependency. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron, like those two things shouldn't go together? I'm in complete dependency. Well, I can't really do anything. No, we're standing up like, here we are. We got this. We got this, right? We got this. Knowing that if he doesn't intervene, we're not, we don't got this. We can't do it, but we are not deterred in any way. We know that when we stand up in dependency, he moves because he's already given us the strategy. Amen. Listen to what it says. These are some of our, our, our favorite verses in the Bible, right? Verse 12. At that time. Somebody say, at that time. At, that time. at what time? The time when stones were falling and killing the enemy. At that time, 
Joshua decided he was going to have a prayer session. At the time of victory, he immediately begins to speak to the Lord. You know why? Because he learned his lessons from the days before. He learned his lesson that you don't win at Jericho and then start doing what you want to do at I. He learned the lesson that if you don't inquire of the Lord, Gibeonites will come and deceive you. At that time, do you hear how much Joshua has learned in this process? There's a victory. Praise God. Lord, I got, a, I got something to ask you. Come on now. Don't we do the opposite in our lives? We get to a point of victory and we're like, whew. Glad that's done. Whew. Joshua goes, at that time, I got this. I know what to do now. He spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over the sons of Israel. And Joshua said, all by himself, off in a corner, very, very quietly. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the wrong version. He said, in the sight of all Israel. Joshua has learned from these experiences. He knows that he is vulnerable after a victory, maybe more so than when you're faced with the failure. Because the failure at least makes you cry out to God and the victory causes you to be insulated from wanting to talk to him. But he said it in the sight of all of Israel. Sun stands still at Gibeon, moon in the valley of Elijah. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. He's like, God, I like this process so much. I like the way it feels to be completely dependent upon you. Can we just keep going? I mean, we're about to run out of daylight here. Can we just keep going and defeating the enemy? I really, really like this. I understand the process now. I'm growing stronger because of it. I just want to keep going in this. I don't want to stop fighting. Now, that's all that I want to do because I understand how to stand up and win. Come on now. There's been, not been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. You know, there was not a day like this in Joshua's life where the sun stood still. That's what it means. Not been a day like it before or since. Not that Joshua didn't take these exact same principles that he learned and then just walk in them over and over and over and over again. The rest of this chapter is how he does it to king after king after king after king in the southern part of Canaan. And it listed almost kind of like a, a little formula. Joshua, he went into the city. He killed the king. He put everybody to the sword. He devoted everything to destruction. Everything that he had learned, he put into practice because he was completely dependent upon the Lord. And that became the actual model for victory everywhere he went and every king that he ever faced after that. Church, you get to be participants in, the, participants in the victories of our God. That's an incredible thing. You know, as we look at our, our history as a church, the reason that we're standing, having matured, having borne righteous fruit, plant church plants, and ministry flowing out of homes here, is because we had to keep standing up. There's no other way to accomplish this unless you have that 
that command from God resonating in your soul. You are doing it, church. That's why you're here. So stand to your feet. Sound booth pull up, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3. This passage is what we are doing this morning as your pastors and elders. This spiritual directive in its context is when you go to war. This is what you are to do. Verse 3 says... He shall say, Hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. Verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. We're going to return back to the focus that we had prior to worship in our time of prayer. Why do you stand up? You stand up because others need you to. It's not about you. You stand up in your identity, transparency, supernatural strategy, dependency and victory because others need that from you. We're going to lift up the prayer points that we covered. And that starts with Rafael Rueda. Look, I've been feverishly checking my phone as we're preaching. Because I, I want to know what the next up, update is that we can direct all of our hearts and minds to. Let's let that be the starting point. Then we'll lift up the One Association churches and the work that our brothers are doing currently in Albania and to follow up in Romania. But I ask this of you. Right now, find the resolve to stand up in who you are in Christ. Know that you and your prayers can affect God's will being done on earth. When we all have that, we'll stand as a fortified wall that supports the works of our brothers. Jesus, right now, we lift up to you, Rafael Rueda. Lord, we say that your breath enter him, enter his lungs right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we say airways open up, blood flow increase, miraculous power of God, fill his lungs in the name of Jesus. This is a son of this house. This is a son who has a destiny and a swan. Lord, let your righteous hand come down and touch his body. Breathe into it. We rebuke this in the name of Jesus. Let go of his lungs. Father, we pray for our brother, Pastor Slaughter in Rising Church. Lord, that your miraculous and healing hand would touch his body. Lord, that we would see him being delivered out of the hospital, back with his family at home and church family. Church, as we're praying for Pastor Nick, there's been an update just while we were in service that some of the tubes and things that they were needing to come out, the doctors have been able to take these things out and Pastor Nick is getting better. He's responding to the prayer 
the prayers that are being offered. So let's continue to pray for Pastor Nick, but I want you to know, Lord, we know that your word is true. We can already see effect, Lord, not just of doctors and medicine, but we see the effect and impact of the people of God standing up, Lord, and crying out to you and watching you do miracle after miracle after miracle. Lord, we are completely dependent upon you. We cannot achieve this on our own, and yet we stand here full of faith, full of fire, full of your power, mighty God. Lord, we lift up to you our brothers in Albania. We lift up to you the pastors and the team that are there. The 11 men traveling in that little eight-passenger vehicle. Lord, that you would be with them even as they are preaching your word, watching deliverance happen in their midst. Lord, strengthening the body of Christ in the precious land of Albania, pushing back the power of the enemy at every turn, wherever they put their feet. Father, we pray right now that your spirit of unity fall upon the two churches in Romania. Lord, let division be exposed for the lie that it is. Let selfish ambition be crushed and replaced with a dying for your brother's vision. Lord, I pray that your spirit of holiness fall upon both churches that would put aside all offense, all opposition, Lord, you would intertwine and unite their hearts around the larger call of Romania being the key to the Middle East. Lord, in totality, we stand here ahead of time, celebrating the victory of what you are giving us. You have made us triumphant in you, and you will get the glory through this body.